everyone, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and today is going to be a little bit different than usual because uh, today we know for a fact that what we are watching is complete fallacy. It is completely out of left field. It is a surprise podcast that we are bringing to you today. Today, of course, we will be talking about the masterpiece classic from the public broadcasting station, Charles III, which portrays uh, an alternate universe where Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip both died and Charles has ascended to the throne already. Um, And so today we're going to dive into that. It was absolutely bizarre but it was also wonderful and terrible at the same time it was all the above joining me as always to break this down are my two co-hosts first a man who will be doing this podcast in verse until of course he won't it's ivan vukovic ivan you discovered this piece of media what drew you to this and did it live up to your expectations Right. Okay. Uh, so first of all, the the name of the film that we're uh, talking about today is King Charles the Third. Um, it is a masterpiece classic if you're on the uh, you know western side of the Atlantic. But I think uh, originally it was a BBC Two production, like a made-for-TV film, uh, and uh, it's based off of a play uh, that had come out a few years earlier. So your question uh, was, how did I co- how did I chance upon this? So. If I'm not mistaken, I think I was watching PBS. Like, you ever have one of those experiences, like, once every, you know, six to eight years where you just, like, are watching live PBS? Like, has that ever happened to you? No. (laughs) I don't have live PBS. I I will say no. I wouldn't know how to access it. You you are also a Downton Abbey viewer. So you are already on PBS. I didn't watch Downton on PBS. It was mostly through streaming. I think I would have to imagine that the reason I was watching PBS was some kind of election-related coverage that took place sometime between 2016 and 2020. And at some point, I think there was an ad for this film. And I think at the same time, it was also uh, like on Prime Video or something. So I pulled it up and watched the first uh, like 20 minutes or so. And I was so intrigued, but I think I had to go do something else. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to come back to this one later. And then it must have been not that long later when we decided to do The Crown And instead of finishing this movie at the time, I decided like, oh, this can be something that we can talk about on the podcast. So now, uh, you know, several years later, I'm returning to it. uh, And I think it lived up to the hype personally. (laughs) Like I said, I think it was both brilliant and terrible at the same time. And we'll, we'll, we'll dive into the specifics, I think, as we go through. But first, also back with us, a woman who loves seeing a good bitch slap. It's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, on the, you know, Mount Rushmore of bitch slaps, where did Camilla bitch slapping William land for you? Mm, I'll give it a seven. It was good. It was good, but I thought it was out of, I don't know what you, if you watched the same thing, but it was out of sync. <laughs> oh, well, I feel like I should put it down to like a six for that then. Carlin, what did you think about this um, this movie? It's like, it feels like the writers just really want this to happen, like really desperately. Like that's the vibe I got. It was <laughs> it was like called King Charles III, but I didn't feel like it was about Charles so much as like, what's a terrible thing we can have happen to Charles? Like what what's the least likely way he will not become king? And they're like, this is it. We're going to make it. We're going to make this happen. We're going to make it work. Yeah. Uh, it was it was enthralling. You're like what? What's going on? Right. So, what I cannot wrap my mind around is the choice to tell this story. So, <laughs> this this play uh, came out. Uh, you know, probably I don't know if it was the West End or or, or somewhere in the UK in 2014. Now, in 2014, like. Queen Elizabeth II was already at a pretty advanced age where, you know, her, like, uh, passing could have been imminent, plausibly. So to tell, like, this story about an alternate history that, like, realistically wasn't that far off 
and has now more or less become like irrelevant because we're eight years past when this play came out and you know now philip and elizabeth have passed now charles has ascended to the throne it's just so weird that you would choose to do this in 2014 knowing how old queen elizabeth ii was as opposed to i mean even like 10 years prior to that 20 years prior to that it's just it almost feels like it was in bad taste but i I don't know what the public reaction uh, to it was at the time probably not that bad since it it was successful enough to be adapted into this film well again given i don't know the the negative reaction that some of the negative reactions that these this upcoming season of the crown has gotten before it's even come out and people are like oh it's too soon oh it's uh you know, it, it's clearly historical inaccuracy. It's just dramatic fiction. And then they had to put the disclaimer on it. It shocks me that this was made at all. This is this is wild. Maybe they just didn't know about it. It was it was on BBC Two, which is you know, yeah, but the not BBC One. <laughs> they only watch BBC One. I mean, at least it wasn't on BBC Three. That that's the wasteland. Yeah. Um, is there a BBC Four, or is there only how many BBCs are there? I believe there are. Th- you know terrestrial british television there are three main bbcs and then after that you you start to get into non-bbc channels okay um well i think before we get too far into you know spoiling things let's just let's just take a step back carlin could you give us a recap of the alternate reality that was presented to us in king charles the third Yeah, sure. Okay. So basically, we open on the death of Queen Elizabeth in, I guess, roughly 2014, which is, as we know, like, I can't do math, but like (laughs) uh, 17, 18 years prior. No, that's not eight years before. (laughs) This is not when she actually died. Hold on. Hold on. I have to jump in because I think the ages of George and Charlotte probably make this more like 2017 when the oh, film came out you're right. okay, as opposed okay. to when the play did. You're right. What's weird? You're right. Okay, so it's 2017. I don't know how long ago that was. What's weird though is that like in this alternate reality, like the royals are the same, but the part the people the the prime minister is not the same. <laughs> uh, like the prime minister is fictional. Uh, it, you can't do a fictionalized version of the Maybe that's what broke prime. the timeline. <laughs> yeah, why don't we have this guy anyway? Anyway, so so uh, you know Charles is kind of like he's unsure about this. He still feels like more suited to being a prince than king. And they basically say like you know yes Charles is going to have his coronation in three months, but like he basically is ascending to like he takes his power now. And the first thing that comes up is the prime minister, whose name I didn't catch. I just called him prime minister. Um, He says that parliament is bringing up a bill about just dealing with the fact that the British press, for the most part, is out of control. And they want to put some regulation on it to prevent sort of, I'm trying to think of the word. They do a lot of uh, slanderous content. And that was obviously an issue in Diana's time. So they're trying to actually do something about it. And Charles is like, no, I don't want to sign. I don't, I want to use my powers to not, I don't know what the word is, like not approve it because I don't want to limit freedom of speech. So that starts our conflict for the movie. And meanwhile, we go to Harry who meets a woman named Jessica, who is a black woman who is a working, working class and has very Republican in the terms of uh, the British sense (laughs) values of, you know, labor party kind of vibes not really pro monarchy and they begin with of course the uh hey are you actually charles's kid or are you a uh, major hewitt's kid and harry does not find that funny because apparently everyone does this to him is that one of the slanderous things that's being prevented in this law maybe Anyway, so he meets this woman and they sort of have a night on the town, which is a lot more just sort of ordinary, like what a normal person would be going through this time. And Harry is kind of taken aback with joy about this experience of being a commoner. And uh, anyway, back to the PM. (laughs) He once again tries to get Charles to sign the bill and it starts a public fight between Charles and the prime minister because Charles doesn't like uh, being pushed around in this regard. Yeah, so then anyway, Harry and Jess sort of start a relationship the next morning when Harry's like, you know, this is great. I think you're great. Let's do something with this. They have they kiss and sort of immediately upon this relationship sort of blooming, Jess goes to the press secretary and is like, 
hey, I have this ex who has these nude photos of me and he's been acting kind of threatening. And like, is there anything you can do about it? And they're kind of like, no, we can't do anything about it. Like you're not actually part of the family. So there's kind of this ticking time bomb of whether or not Jess will end up, you know, facing the out of control media if they get a hold of these photos because she is now form, like known to be dating Harry. After that, Charles <laughs> has a dream in which he sees Diana of all people and Diana says that he's going to be the greatest king ever. And this, of course, only further makes Charles think that his decision to not sign this bill is a good idea. Meanwhile, we suddenly get Kate's point of view, Duchess um, Catherine, William's wife, and basically Kate tells William, like, you have to get Charles to sign this bill. It's going to cause a lot of trouble if he doesn't. And William doesn't want to do it because he knows that Charles has always been really insecure about the fact that, like, he, Charles thinks, or William thinks that Charles thinks that they, the boys still have a um, loyalty to Diana and not to him. And so he, William doesn't want to rock the boat. But Kate is like, you can see Kate has picked a side. And then William has a dream in which Diana comes to him and says that he will be the greatest king ever. So they both have this dream. Who's right? I don't know. And so then Harry, um, meanwhile, has been dating Jess for a little bit. And he starts to think like, I kind of want to quit royalty. I want to be a commoner. I am not like, I don't feel suited for this life. And he basically says like, he's in love with Jess and he wants that to be his future. And the guy he's talking to seems to kind of just be a random guy is like, is it possible that Queen Elizabeth was the only reason the monarchy worked? <laughs> then Charles emboldened by his Diana dream, goes and dissolves Parliament, which uh, we only heard Liz in The Crown maybe do, but didn't actually do. So I think this might have been the first time that any royal has actually dissolved Parliament because Charles is like, yo, this is bullshit. I'm not going to sign this bill. I have my principles. This is how I'm going to rule. And basically it results in many, many protests. The, the British public is not happy about this. Everything goes to chaos. And so, meanwhile in this, Charles, like, oh no, Harry finds Jess in the middle of the protests and tells her that he loves her right as Jess's nudes get leaked to the sun. And so Jess is like, she's not having it. So the relationship is on the rocks. Then the PM goes to William and is like, you need to deal with Charles. Look at all the chaos he's causing. And so then William only gets convinced because Kate comes in and is like, this is what needs to be done. Like we need to stage like a real like power grab intervention here in order for to like bring peace back to the people. Meanwhile, Harry does go to Charles and is like, this is my girlfriend and we're in love and the son is ruining her life. And Charles is like, we got your back, Jess. You get to, you can be a member of the family. Like, we're going to bring you into our fold. And then Harry, plot twist, is like, no, I don't want you to bring her into the family. I want to be a commoner. And Charles says that Harry can go. So then Charles holds a press conference and with William there. And basically, William stabs him in the back and is like, we are, I am now going to be the intermediary between Charles and the British government because clearly he can't handle it. And Charles is like, so betrayed and like it, it, he just sort of goes into a tailspin at which point William then presents him with he wants him to abdicate gives him the papers and ultimately Charles agrees so on when coronation day hits William is crowned king then I I don't know immediately makes Harry break up with Jess because she's too she doesn't fit the mold but then right in the moment where William is about to be crowned by the bishop guy, Charles jumps in and crowns him himself. <laughs> if you if you couldn't follow that, don't worry. It didn't make a lot of sense. But uh, I think we'll, we'll try and go beat by beat. Also lost in that uh, synopsis is the fact that some of this... Okay, there were a lot of interesting elements here. Some of it was written in what Wikipedia says is blank verse. So we got such soliloquies as this. Such equal billing was a joy when Prince, to share the stage, did spread attention out. But now I'll rise to how things have to be. 
The queen is dead. Long live the king. That's me. <laughs> it gave us not one, but two characters breaking the fourth wall. And definitely not the two characters I would have chosen. One was King Charles III. The second, a very vindictive and vengeful Kate Middleton. <laughs> it gave us just complete anarchy. It gave us a tank in front of Buckingham Palace. It oh, yeah. <laughs> um, this movie had so many interesting choices. So Queen Elizabeth dies and immediately... Charles is like, it's time for me to show the world my ideas and the things that I stand for. And in The Crown, this has been something that Charles has actually wanted to do. So this is consistent with what we've seen in prior mediums. But what was interesting to me is the way that Charles is portrayed as kind of like the voice of the people. So even though the people have voted in this government and this government wants to pass a law that will essentially restrict free speech on uh, the press... Charles is like, well, actually, I am a moral, upstanding citizen. I will, I will defend this, and uh, it made me, it, it made it seem like weirdly pro monarchy at the beginning, which I was really surprised by. Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Where like, I wasn't sure if they were trying to make a parallel to Diana's experience by then going and saying that Charles will do everything in his power to make sure that the wrongs of Diana were not repeated. But, like, it also, I think the basic concept of what he's trying to do, like, is very admirable. It just seemed very weird for the UK to come up with this of, like, oh, let's restrict freedom of speech in, like, a fascist way. That just didn't quite feel <laughs> feel modern Britain to me. I mean, I, I think we don't need to get into how... They're um, doing modern fascism now. But like, it didn't feel like that was the right way to go. So it was just a very interesting choice of like, that's the central conflict. Yeah. And I think we've seen a little bit in the crown of Queen Elizabeth, you know, signing some of these bills. It's pretty ceremonial, I think, at the end of the day. Like, ultimately, it doesn't really matter whether or not she signs the bill. But for some reason, I guess we don't know. I guess we've never seen on the crown her be like, no, I won't sign this. But the fact that it doesn't really matter makes it like, okay, Charles won't sign the bill. Like, <laughs> okay, just pass it anyways. They get so butthurt about this. No, it's very unclear what the power dynamic is here. Because like, if it doesn't even matter that he signs the bill, yeah, is it <laughs> kind of wild he tried to dissolve <laughs> parliament over it? Yeah, um, instead of signing it, he writes something like, Ascent Reserved. All right, man. <laughs> it looks like Ivan dropped. Maybe we should wait for Ivan. But yeah. I will say, it was interesting that Charles sets up his meetings with like the prime minister, and then the meeting ends, and the, the leader of the opposition is there, and he's like, yo, just to, uh, you know, have someone to fact check these meetings, here's the, I'm going to have another meeting with the, <laughs> the leader of the opposition after every single one of your meetings. Can you imagine if Elizabeth had done that? <laughs> like, we just got so many prime minister scenes. You just lose track of all the prime ministers at that point, because you basically have two for every term. I know. That's oh crazy. Oh, my God. After the funeral, uh, we cut to... And this was very jarring. Harry at a bar and the music cues in this movie were also just so, so obnoxious. But yeah, we meet Harry's friends. One of Harry's friends looks like he's been raped by Primark. That was a crazy line. Um, <laughs> oh my God. It makes you think that half of this movie is going to be about Harry, but it's really... I feel like Harry is very big in the beginning and then he kind of like just like disappears. I don't know. The pacing of this movie was also very off. Well, he just didn't feel like he did anything consequential in the whole movie. And it was also just, I mean, we'll talk about this more, but it was just very strange where like everything else is true, to, you know, quote unquote true to life where like you can recognize the players going on here. What? Why did they make a proxy Megan? I feel like they wouldn't have made that decision on their own. They couldn't come up with that on their own. When did real life Megan enter the scene? 26. Well, I think that's what we're trying to figure out. Yeah, I feel like they were married in 2018. So I think it overlapped. At least the movie would have overlapped. Um, one thing I don't think we mentioned yet is that Prince Harry was a familiar face to us. 
because Prince Harry is played by Richard Goulding, who in The Crown plays Prince Charles's secretary. Is it secretary? Chief of staff, I guess. Edward Adeen. It's so weird to see people play William, Harry, and Kate. Because you're like, but I know what their faces look like. Yeah, and the thing is, um, and I want to try to put this in a very positive light. Uh, It is really cool that the real-life Harry is better looking than some of the actors who are portraying him. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. (laughs) So at this bar... Harry meets Jessica, and Jessica basically is like, I hate the royals, and you know what? You could leave, and you could be whoever you want to be. And Harry's like, really? I can? First of all, if you hate the royals, why are you hanging out with Prince Harry to start? You could hang out with someone else. But also, can you imagine just saying that to someone upon first meeting them? Hey. No. Hey, you could could leave your entire life. Just do it. And so here's something that, that confused me based on what apparently is uh, about to unfold. So Prince Harry's book apparently will be coming out very soon. And I've heard, uh, or rather I read that in the book, an excerpt was published where Harry at his lowest point, apparently was walking through LA with uh, like a bottle of alcohol in one hand and a revolver in the other. And then Apparently, he stumbled upon a bowling alley, and he went in, and he had never heard of bowling before, and he went into this bowling alley, and then bowling saved his life. Yet in this movie, he and Jessica go out, and what do they do? They go bowling. So I see some inconsistencies somewhere. Did they prove that that was a real excerpt? (laughs) I think it was a fake excerpt. I I feel like Diana would have taken her kids bowling if she took them to McDonald's. Well, I find it ludicrous that that he didn't know what bowling was. Well, how do you get a gun? I I know it's easy in America, but... Real life phrase, like, lowest point was when he was in California? Well, well, Sam fact checks that um, that excerpt from, from Harry's book. But yeah, I don't know this Harry. It like I said, I don't want to say it might have been because usually you're used to if it's an actor that they are a more polished version of the person, and then it felt like this was a less polished version of Harry. So you're like, it felt like a. Well, it wasn't just the actor; it was also just like the styling of Harry in this movie. Like the man looked like absolute shit, especially by the end. Like in the beginning, he was like hanging out in clubs, wearing a suit while Dua Lipa songs were blaring. And by the end, you know, he was dressed as basically like a dad from the Pacific Northwest that's wearing like, you know, an Eddie Bauer flannel and maybe a Kirkland signature jacket over it. Yeah, like they, who was the costume designer here? These people, they're rich. They're gonna wear nice clothes. Okay, I have the excerpt. Okay. Um, Is it real? I don't know. Oh, my God. <laughs> how would I? I mean, how will we know? No, We won't know until the book comes out. Well, I guess, but and I will not be reading to, it. <laughs> someone from Harry's team needs to either confirm or deny that that is a part of the book. Megan and I had just decided to leave the royal family, and it was a really dark time for us. One day, I was wandering down the streets of L.A., a 40-ounce in LA. one hand and a revolver in the other. Again, why would he... Megan had just been expressing like thoughts of suicidal ideation before, and now you're telling me that he went down the street with a revolver after he left the family? Yeah, ready to end it all. And I saw a building with a bright neon sign that said Hollywood Star Lanes. So I decided fuck it and went in. Inside, they were playing this game I'd never heard of called bowling. I guess it's pretty popular in America. You grab a big heavy ball and roll it towards a group of pins that you're trying to knock over. When you're in the bowling alley, everything else fades away, and there's just the sound of balls rolling down lanes and pins falling over. It's like yoga, but for cool, tough guys. Okay, Needless okay. to say, I was hooked. First bowling of saved all, my life that day. First of all, Hollywood star lanes closed in 2002. <laughs> what? <laughs> So, I call bullshit on that. Okay. 
<laughs> so we're fact checking the book in real time. Wait, how the old was is, he then? He was born in 84, 85. Um, but it says Megan. <laughs> Megan and I had just decided to leave the royal family. So it had to have been well, I think 2016 the other, on. The other issue with this excerpt is that Megan is spelled incorrectly. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, Why are people spreading this? It's M E G A N, which I think is not how you no, how Meghan Markle spells her name. Is the excerpt also like written in Comic Sans? <laughs> it's not written in Comic Sans. This is going around. So I think we found the inconsistency. It's Harry the... definitely learned bowling with Jessica. Well, I'm gonna also <laughs> look up if bowling exists in the UK because I know in Canada they have like tiny bowling balls. Yeah, candle pin. I I like tiny Canada bowling. Anyway, Did you say tiny candle bowling? Canada bowling. <laughs> okay, I would also like to say mm-hmm. that bowling exists in the UK. It, they, It's a thing. So I guess he could have not been exposed to it, but like if he knew about other things. Oh my God, they have funny names. Barnsley, Metrodome, Eden Shopping Center, Ooh. Bowling House, Flower Bowl okay, Entertainment Center. Okay, so should we move Center. on to the Kinky Crown Award? <laughs> Okay. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I but like what really just stood out to me about the Harry storyline was just I don't know. I couldn't tell if they had predicted Megan or were like riffing off of Megan, and then the fact that they were right. I got some riffing off of Megan vibes. At, again, like you said, it was just weird because I think obviously the play came out pre Megan, and then this was like mid Megan, mid Megan. So I feel like they pro- they might have drawn some inspiration. But here's an excerpt. The So Harry seems to fall for Jessica pretty quickly. Here's the interaction. Do you want to get off with me? I hate everything you stand for. You really look like you want to kiss me. I don't. And then they kiss. This is a mistake. There's a knock at the door. The press advisor comes in and he's like, Harry, this is a very unstable moment. You should not be doing this. Uh, the timing is bad. And then Jessica says she's never getting off with harry again and then harry says can i call you and she says yes it's just the moment read so like um what's the word like robin thick blurred lines kind of consent (laughs) and then it like what no like (laughs) like where it was like harry was trying to make a move and then it seemed like jess didn't want it and then like suddenly it like switched and so i didn't know what to think about the whole moment and like, why'd they do that? Did yeah. they not know how to write romance? Well, also, also, is it just me or did all of like the Harry and Jess scenes in particular, like, were they the ones that weren't written in verse? Because I feel like the dialogue in those scenes seemed relatively like normal and modern compared to the rest of the film. I agree. But we did get some Harry verse. And that was when he said, a ginger joke bereft of value. <laughs> the other thing about the verse is how... Is just like the the syntax of the sentences. <laughs> no, that it's just so they, bizarre. They love just mentioning that Harry's ginger. They do. They do. Which is funny because like this guy's hair in particular, like what seemed pretty muted. Like he was barely a redhead. Harry, like you look at him and you're like, okay, yeah, that's a redheaded man. Like this guy just seemed to have like it. It, it was it was definitely more reddish brown, like way mm-hmm. darker than Harry's real life hair. Yeah. They had two ginger jokes in here, and they couldn't even get a ginger guy, Mm. or at least a ginger wig, or ginger dye. Should we just continue through with the Harry storyline? So Jessica, basically her her issue is that she has sent some nudes to an ex-boyfriend who's now using them to blackmail her. She tells that for some reason she and the press secretary have a meeting under a bridge, As one does. You can't have a movie without someone meeting under a bridge. Yeah, I'm shocked that the press secretary is is entertaining this. Uh, So in this, it's not even discreet. It's just weird Uh, in this this way. Oh, and the press advisor is like, you know what? You should leave Harry. You're not part of this family. Again, he's like, the timing is just so poor. (laughs) He's like, why do all these things happen? But that doesn't work. Harry eats dinner alone. And then the diner guy is like, do you love this woman? And Harry's like, yes. And then the diner guy, is it's like a music video or something. He's like, then you should go be with her. And Harry's like, oh, okay. And he runs through that anarchy scene. <laughs> yep. to oh, find her. That scene. 
That's oh, I mean, that was just uncomfortable to watch because they were basically using like the the magical black man trope to oh, <laughs> to, yeah. to give Prince Harry a, a, a realization. Like, my God, that was bad. Yeah. Yeah, as, as there's anarchy happening in the streets, Charles is running through. He goes to the flat. He's ringing the doorbell, but she's not home. Why? I don't know. Where is she going in the middle of a riot? Not <laughs> <laughs> protesting. That's her uh, one personality trait. <laughs> she wasn't even protesting. She was just walking around. That's um, how she protests, <laughs> just by being there. And... Harry somehow finds a mask and his his chief of staff is with him. He finds her somehow in all of London. He he finds her and then he's like, we should be together. And then she's like, but this nude of me in the paper. And she shows him. Yeah. And Harry's like, come with me to the palace. And she's like, okay. Like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. And then they go to the palace. And then this was the weirdest thing. Harry is like, Basically, he shows Charles the the newspaper, and Charles's first reaction is like, "Don't worry, we'll stick together, and we can we can protect you know you and and give you security and help Jessica with all that." And then Harry is like, "No, what I want is to not be a part of this family anymore." And then Charles is just like, "Okay," which blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> In what world? <laughs> I, you know, I guess we can start with would he ever give security to someone oh unknown and then <laughs> letting Harry leave? That's how he's cutting costs. Like, let's just get rid of this one royal. So Charles refuses to sign this bill that would restrict freedom of the press. And he meets with, I think he's met with the leader of the opposition more in this movie than we've seen in four seasons of The Crown. But <laughs> the leader of the opposition is like, you know who you should uh, look up? This guy, William the Fourth, and you should see what he did. And Charles is like, William the Fourth, who is that? And then he's like pouring over books <laughs> for probably like half an hour until he finally discovers who William the Fourth is. And then, for some reason, there's these family breakfasts with like Charles, Camilla, William, and Kate. And then they're having one of these family breakfasts, and everyone's like, "Where's Charles?" and Camilla's like, oh, he's upstairs. He said he didn't want to be disturbed. And then they're watching kind of like a vote happen in Parliament. And then there's a knock on the door and it's Charles. Oh, my God. It's it's just like when Diana went to the do the performance, except this is just so much worse. (laughs) Also, why was Camilla like she was here, but she didn't do anything? at all in a way where i think she could have done something she had no plot i forgot she was there to be honest a lot of the time well it's funny that you mentioned that because you know fast forward to the you know end of the story where like the reason charles abdicates is essentially because william and harry are threatening to more or less like shun him and sort of like turn their backs and not be a part of the family, which first of all, like a, that is what Harry wanted to begin with. Uh, and B like Charles is, uh, he, he becomes immediately spooked when he hears that threat. Cause he's like, Oh no, I can't live alone. I can't like not see my children, uh, and not see my grandchildren. But, like, Camilla is still at his side. And, like, we know, based off the crown, that, like, she's the only person that he really gives a shit about anyway. Like, he he doesn't love his children. Like, they're they're whatever to him. So it feels like that's uh, – he should have called their bluff. He, he should have been like, all right, well, I don't need you assholes anyway. I got Camilla mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, maybe, like, Anne and Andrew and Edward still like him. Who knows? But uh, yeah, it seemed like the logic just completely fell apart there. That was so, that's like the most opposite out of character thing Charles does, possibly in the whole movie. Out of character or in character for Charles, when there's a mob forming outside Buckingham Palace to park a tank outside the front and point it at the crowd. I feel like that man seems like a a real pacifist. Like (laughs) I just get that vibe from him. Maybe it's because he loves his gardens and he's like a vegetarian or whatever. But, like, he just doesn't seem like a tank man. Did he even go? He was not happy in the Navy. We we never saw the tank either. Like, we, we saw, like, a bunch of, like, protests and riots and maybe, like, tanks out in the street of London. But we never got to see, like, this grand tank in front of Buckingham. No, did I we? think we did. There was a wide shot of the tank. Very, like, Tiananmen Square-esque. Okay. 
Yeah, but it was like behind the gates. Like it, there was the mob of people outside Buckingham Palace, and then just one tank in the yard. You got to do is you got to put the turret in between like bars on the fence. <laughs> just just push it out there a little bit. I feel like a, a tank, one tank against a mob of people, is not an effective weapon. Like not at all. It doesn't have the dexterity to. Account for multiple people coming at you from different angles. No, you could definitely just get like as far, like go to the left. Yeah, especially with the with a building that big. Yeah, like like Michael Fagan would have gotten around that tank. He would. I yeah, absolutely. Can we talk about Kate Middleton? Yeah. Oh, my what God. a weird portrayal. <laughs> Probably the weirdest portrayal of any character in this movie. Yeah, and and one that like was like almost downright treasonous. yeah kinda like she basically just said like i have ambitions to become like the queen in in a way that will be like equal to william like like holy shit like no (laughs) other royal family member has ever would have ever gotten away with even thinking something like that what does that even mean what do you guys even do oh my god yeah so kate yeah at one point breaks the fourth wall to tell us this we hear her say you're looking at me, <laughs> aren't you? The thing I'll say about these breaking the fourth walls is that you don't realize they're breaking the fourth wall until like maybe three lines in because they're not looking at the camera and then they'll turn to look at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> but she says, yeah, you're looking at me, um, but you don't know me. I've been underestimated and I will be a queen unlike any queen before. All she wants is power to achieve her will. And she wants a crown. She can have the, I don't, this whole thing felt like it had the stakes of like the olden times or like a fantasy show. But I'm just like, wh- why are you guys doing this for this? <laughs> but like, can you imagine like, like what she's thinking? Like, can you imagine thinking like, oh, I'm going to be a queen unlike any queen before. Like you're, you're following Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> yeah like, like those are those are big shoes to fill like no one's gonna be like 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 her ever again yeah and then also they just i mean is she going to like abolish the like there's no rule she could possibly get rid of that would make her go ahead of george in the succession like it's a very strange thing like you want you to do that She's trying Maybe. to pull a cersei lannister I, she is trying to pull a cersei lannister and there's there's a lot of kids to get through. Like, at least try to do a, what was it, the Sand Snakes who tried to get Marcella on the throne? Like, try to get Charlotte on the throne, I guess? Like, over George? It was also wild how much she just, like, undercut William at every opportunity. Like, there's one scene kind of towards the beginning of the movie where, for some reason, she's left alone with the prime minister. The prime minister has something. I think it's the bill that he wants Charles to sign. And Kate is like, can I see that? And the prime minister is like, no, it's for the king only. And then Kate is like, let me see that. And then the prime minister's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, like William is very adamantly like, I don't want to go against my father. Kate is like inviting the prime minister over. <laughs> William's like, why are you here? And Kate's like, I invited him. William is very much like, I don't want to go against your father. And then in front of the prime minister, Kate's like, you should go against your father. <laughs> It's just so bizarre. Insanity. She would not survive a season of Game of Thrones with that with that blatant <laughs> treason. Eventually, William comes around, and I think it's because his son gave him a hug. Is- <laughs> oh yeah, they like strategically had George run into frame to hug him, as if he like forgot he had children. <laughs> that was a weird choice. So they conspire. Speaking of treason, with the press secretary to interrupt a a press conference that Charles is holding to defend his posi- uh, decision to dissolve parliament. And Charles is literally like just about to step to the podium and William is like, too fast for you. <laughs> just like steps in front. Yeah, like what was that scene? Like, and, 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 and like, even weirder is the fact that, like, you know, William saying he's going to be like a mediator between, uh, you know, the crown and, uh, you know, parliament. 
that doesn't mean anything. Like, I mean, he's not really <laughs> usurping power. Like, he's not promising anything specific. It just seems like this, like, empty symbolic gesture. And it's weird that Charles wouldn't have then just stepped up to the microphone and said, like, all right, thanks, William. Uh, but, uh, you know, like, you were the warm-up act, and now let me get down to business. I mean, obviously, William was going to then, um, like, give him, you know, just induce a stroke or something. <laughs> <laughs> why would you d there's there's no next step with that at least in this alternate universe this works because william drives to the palace and william says you know what when i was driving through the mob they parted like i was moses and i was able to drive right up to the palace and in here and they did not they they were fine with it they were like go william and uh yeah then he and charles get in a big fight William's like, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be two thrones. And Charles is like, for us? <laughs> and William is like, no. Yeah, you know, father-son throne time. Charles is like, for me and Camilla? And William's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, what this? And Charles is like, wait, are you saying what I think you're saying? And William is like, dad, you're so slow. Yes. <laughs> it's for me and Kate. And then, like, immediately afterward, like, you can just picture it, like, every, you know, minute or two, another character from the principal cast walks onto the stage. <laughs> yes. And you know what Charles sees in William? He sees Diana. He sees ambition. <laughs> <laughs> and then William... This is, is this supposed to be a redeeming moment? William is like, you treated my mother so poorly. It becomes like such a mob complex thing. Yeah, they they didn't really see that one in, even though. <laughs> is no one going to talk about how, is Charles not going to talk about how Diana told him he would be the greatest king ever? Yeah, they both have this dream. Can we, oh, can we also talk about how earlier, like, it seems like William and Harry have like the same dream at the same time. <laughs> what is this what is this dream is it supposed to be like she's a ghost or are they all just like collectively hallucinating shades of spencer well i but, guess but here's but here's the other thing like this ghost of diana is wrong about everything charles doesn't become the greatest king like that that was a false prophecy all right so then during this argument the prime minister comes in although he may not be the prime minister really anymore because parliament's been dissolved it's a little bit of a gray area he comes in charles is like no and throws a book at him I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the crown could never <laughs> this is our tennis racket oh my god yes um and an abdication has been drafted up sign it <laughs> And Charles, this was one of my favorite lines. Charles is like, this is so rushed. There are spelling mistakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eventually, they pressure Charles to sign it because uh, Carlin, as you said, he was just, he can't imagine the thought of living without his family. And so then cut to coronation day. Actually, before coronation starts, Jessica's trying to get in. And Harry, like a little bitch, is now like, I, we can't see each other anymore. <laughs> like, I thought he was a commoner now. I guess that didn't go through. Yeah, what is this? William just made him come back. Yeah, why are you doing this? <laughs> they just undid, like, the, you know, half of the film's worth of, like, plot development for him and Jess. You ran through a mob <laughs> with a mask to find this woman. Yeah, like, if you're going to set this up, at least make Harry and William's relationship more prominent. Well, okay, so here's the other thing I don't understand. When uh, Charles is coerced into signing the abdication, you know, who, he puts his signature down. But then so do William and Kate and also Harry for some reason. Like, what are they signing? Maybe they're Wait, specifically, is, yeah. specifically, what is Harry signing? Yeah, that's a great question. Just this commoner who was uh, in the palace. <laughs> you can be a witness. Yeah. Just this guy who looks and dresses like shit who shouldn't be allowed into the <laughs> palace anymore. After Harry does this and tells Jessica, like, basically, we can't see each other anymore, he sees a vision of Diana, and I, I want to think that that's Diana telling him, you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Or, or like, or like it's, it's her being like, oh, you know, you know what I said about you being a greatest king? Psych! <laughs> Um, okay, so then they're about to put the crown on William, but Charles gets up and takes it. And honestly, I wanted him to just run away with it. I know. <laughs>
Like before he turns around and he's the one who puts it on William, I wanted him to just go rogue. That's the ending this movie deserved. Yeah. Just melt it down. No more monarchy. <laughs> oh my God. What a crazy movie. Honestly, there's, I feel like there's a lot we didn't talk upon, but it really doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't. Let's talk some kinky moments that we saw in King Charles III. It was a PBS movie, not particularly known for kinkiness. BBC Two. But were there any moments that stood out to you? I mean, I I didn't see that many, but I'll, go, I'll do Jess's nudes, like just in the middle of that, of the riot. <laughs> she travels with that newspaper. Oh, you know what? When Charles looks at the nude, he looks at the picture when they bring it in. I'm going to go Charles in the nudes. Charles in the nudes. Okay. Ivan, did you, did you see anything? Maybe just Kate saying, you're looking at me. Okay. Uh, I'll go with, uh, there's a scene where Harry and William are like both awoken by this dream. And so they're having this conversation on the stairs. Also, for some reason, they share a house uh, in this movie. But Harry says to William of Jessica that uh, they've done things that most do every day. And she's opened his eyes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, not a lot to work with here. Yeah, slim well, pickings. That's okay. We got three. Actually, actually, hold on. I've got one, but it's very lowbrow. Okay. okay. Harry having a friend named Cootsie. Wait, what? When Was that at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. One of his uh, friends that he was clubbing with. May maybe, uh, I don't know if it was ever spoken aloud, but it was in the, uh, in the closed captioning. He was identified as Cootsie. In mine, the closed captioning was also on a delay so i had to turn the captions off i guess i'll go with the the nudes oh. do, do you see the way that we're like struggling to like propose any quality ideas and then we just sort of like succumb to the the least clunky option that's that's how this movie was written i yeah yeah absolutely um okay anything else to to talk through here on king charles the third would we recommend Wait, are we gonna finish voting uh, i i picked oh, the nudes <laughs> I thought it was a yeah, foregone conclusion. Yeah, I thought that, I thought that was like a you know, a, you know, an admission of this is what it is. He's trying to overthrow democracy <laughs> on uh, crowning around. But yeah, anything else? I'll take a step back. Would we recommend this movie? Uh, Should people watch this? Here's the thing. <laughs> I I'd like to think that it did work a lot better as a play. Like based there, on what? there's some interesting source material here, but it just like it, it falls apart when it goes onto screen. Cause like, you know, like the idea of Charles, like, uh, you know, kind of uh, being cut off by William who steps up to a microphone and then says something that kind of takes the plot in a different direction. Th that that's play logic. Like that's the type of thing that you might see on stage and just like, don't think twice about, but when you see it on screen, it just doesn't make a lick of sense because like on, on play it's more about the physical gesture and that's like all that you really kind of care about but like you know a, a film feels a little closer to real life and then you you see that and you're like well why doesn't charles just like step up and, and say something now uh instead of cowering away toward the corner of the stage so to answer your question no i would not recommend this film <laughs> there's a section in the wikipedia page Entitled Controversy, would you like to hear about the controversy, the public reaction to this movie? Let's, yeah, let's do go. it. Okay. The screening of the production on the British national broadcaster was controversial. The Mail Whoa. on Sunday published claims by Rosa Monckton, a close friend of Diana, Princess of Wales, that the BBC was broadcasting irresponsible rumors concerning the paternity of Prince Harry. However, Kate Matby, writing in the Financial Times, defended the show and criticized the Mail on Sunday's somewhat manufactured row. I only have one thing to say to that. Rosa yes. Moncton, where the hell were you in season four? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Also, uh, Tory MP Andrew Bridgen told the Mail on Sunday it was, quote, unfortunate the BBC would seek to promote this flight of fancy which many license fee payers will find distasteful and which I believe denigrates and undermines our royal family, unquote. Yeah, there's always going to be someone saying that. <laughs> However, uh, one man 
John Whittingdale, a former culture secretary, defended it, saying, if the BBC has commissioned a production of a decent play, how can one possibly object to that? High-quality drama is at the heart of public service broadcasting. Some of my colleagues get hysterical about this kind of thing. I don't think the Queen is the least bit offended. (laughs) Okay, first of all, the Queen does not watch BBC Two. And also, I don't think she'd be the offended one here. Um, Apparently, the BBC broadcast drew a live audience of 1.8 million viewers. So a lot of people have seen this. Hmm. 1.8. I mean, I I guess that... I mean, is that even good by 2017 standards? I mean, it's more than I would have expected to see this, (laughs) having seen it myself. Like, I mean, doesn't like doesn't a Doctor Who episode like usually get at least four or five million viewers? Like this, that seems like nothing. But usually these ratings are like an average. So the fact that like I don't know that I would have stayed all the way to like your earlier point, Ivan, about you watching this movie. I don't know that I would have stuck all the way through. But for it to have averaged one point eight million viewers throughout the entire broadcast is more than I would have expected. I, yeah, I mean, I guess. I guess it's good for for BBC Two, right? Yeah, for BBC Two. All right. Um, cool. Wait, Carlin, would you recommend this movie to somebody? Uh, no, especially if they have another place to spend four dollars. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, good news for us is that this was a one week special. Next week we will be back, and it's time we will be talking about the season premiere. Of The Crown, season five, we are very excited. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, super excited. <laughs> I, I'm i stoked. Yes, new cast, new everything, but still us. So we'll be back talking about that next week. Uh, in the meantime, Ivan, if people want to connect with you, where can they do that? On BBC Three. <laughs> uh, Carlin, what about you? Um, at Twitter, at Carlin Greenwald. Instagram, at Carlin underscore G-E-E. All right, you can find me on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung, but the best place to reach us with any of your thoughts or comments or questions about anything related to what we've watched, this movie, The Crown, etc., is on Twitter at Crown Around Pod. And that's really all we got for you. We'll see you next time with season five coverage. And God save the king. God, God save, save the, the king. king.